Welcome to our backyard. This is the Backyard Philosophy Podcast. We are two friends having a discussion after everyone else has passed out or gone to bed. Grab a drink and listen as we discuss everything from automation, space exploration, and why the meaning of life is 42. What does the United States federal government and Florida man have in common? They're both hoping for a miracle to pay off their debts. Today we're going to talk about the United States national debt, but before we get into that, Mike, how are you doing? What are you drinking? Well, we're talking about money, Congress, and uh, the government, so uh, not the greatest, and I'm drinking some Jim Bean Peach, which I'll be honest, does not taste great, but I'm poor, so I'm going to drink it anyhow. (laughs) What about you, my friend? How are you, and what are you drinking? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things I'd rather do than and have to analyze the mistakes we've been making for a while. Whether you think they're mistakes or not, we'll, we'll address that. But uh, I'm drinking some Rogue Dead Guy Ale because I need something a little bit higher alcohol content to get me through what is sure to be an exciting discussion, but also kind of a depressing discussion. Nick, are you telling me that being in trillions of dollars is a, in debt is a depressing conversation? No. It's not an enlightening one. Well, I mean, it could be an enlightening one, but it's not an uplifting one, I guess, is the word I'm looking for. (laughs) Unless it's like a comeback story, but I don't think it is. I don't hear no Rocky music. So I want to go over a few quick words that we're going to throw around a lot, uh, mostly because I also had to look them up to make sure I knew what I was talking about. And the first word is deficit, which is basically we're going to talk, talk about it in the sense of how much money the government spending, and it's the amount of money that we are short on. Like, so if we say we're going to spend ten dollars, and we have, or say we say we we spend five dollars, we have two fifty. We have a deficit of two fifty. What that equates to for the national debt is a bigger number. Basically, how much we say we're going to spend, and then how much we spent over that. The difference between that is the deficit. Is that? Did I make that worse? I think you meant that worse. Uh, from yeah, all right, you go. The budget Just cut everything this out. The budget deficit, from my understanding, is when the expenses, so money leaving, exceeds revenue, the money coming in. So you spend more time in the red or have a larger red in your logbook than you do black, and that usually the deficit indicates the financial health of a country because deficit is usually for large sums of money, such as a country. It's sometimes used in business, but not all the time. A term that I also want to bring up, Nick, that's in business and for governments is margin call. So a margin call is kind of someone collecting all their debts at once because there's certain credit, certain ratings on how well you think you're able to pay back your debts. Uh, Much like getting a loan as an individual or as a business, countries have their own loans, their own rating system, and the United States is part of it. I think at the moment, the United States is AA, with the highest being AAA, which it used to be. And then you have countries like Greece, which I think are like triple Ds or something like that. Nice. Yes. Well, maybe not, maybe not, (laughs) maybe not for Greece. I also want to kind of mention treasury auctions because i'm not exactly sure how they work but i want to talk about them later in the podcast but from my understanding and i'll re-mention it later on 
a treasury auction is a process, an auction, that sells and buys securities, which affects the interest rate when it comes to the national debt. We'll get into that a little bit, but that was something I didn't even know existed until researching this. It's, Nick, there's a lot of words and uh, phrasing and just a lot of shenanigans going around that I have no idea that the national debt was involved in. Yeah, and uh, I'm not an economist. We we are not economists, mostly because I guess we I'd have less faith in economists and the financial system. It seems like from after researching this, but uh, <laughs> so we're gonna explain this so I can understand it is the goal here. So um, I wanted to go over something we probably all know, but just say it anyway. GDP or gross domestic product, basically just a measure of how much money we are making as a country. And that's important because that's basically how much we can, as long as we have production in the United States, we can pretty much borrow, it seems like, as much as we want and no one cares. Um, but that's an important thing to track. And then the last thing I had for definitions, Mike, is debt ceiling, which is pretty much the maximum borrowing point. So basically you say we can only borrow X amount and then once you reach that amount you have to reassess and raise your ceiling because legally you have to have some kind of ceiling, I guess. There's a lot of silly back there's a lot of silly things the way the United States handles debt. That ceiling debt might be the most important definition to everything besides inflation and interest rate. That that's a very hot topic issue which I assume we will get into. But Nick, how did we start or get into national debt? So the United States has pretty much always been in debt because, well, we're Americans. We like to buy things on credit. Uh, but really because there's a lot of stuff to pay for when you run a country. So the, I guess the first national debt, the beginning of the debt started when the federal government formed and decided that, hey, we need to, we need to start a line of credit. Basically, we if we wanted to do trade and commerce as a country, if we want to be able to trade with other countries, we need to prove that people can borrow from us and lend to us. And so part of that was we can't just be like, hey, we had a revolution. We're not paying off our debts because France gave us money, other countries and people gave us money. And a great way to, or a terrible way to start a, a new country in, in any business is just to say, I'm not paying back anyone who gave me money. Which surprisingly is quite common in history. Yeah. It's also, especially after you just pissed off like the, the superpower at the time, you probably don't want to make any more enemies. <laughs> so I'll have to give it to uh, Alexander Hamilton on that one. Not a huge Hamilton fan, but he did convince everyone that they needed to take on the debt from the war. And that's basically where our uh, debt started. We and then we continued to try to pay that back, but at the same time we kept borrowing because we were a new country needed things. We had to go into debt to purchase some ships to go free some sailors on the coast of Africa. And uh, pretty much every time we go to war, we take out a bunch more debt. I think the most famous example is obviously World War II with war bonds and stuff like that. And so to me, it kind of seems like wars increase your borrowing and then it kind of goes down after a while, and then another war, and it comes back up. Uh, the other interesting fact I have is that at one point in time, the United States did pay off its debt. Andrew, da Andrew Jackson paid off the national debt 
in the year 1835 to 1836, which is wild that there's a point where we didn't owe anyone anything, right? And while you may think that that's awesome, I do, a lot of economists come to ruin my parade and basically say, you just like people say in life, like there's good debt and bad debt, you need debt so that people will lend to you. And, and this is... This is so counterintuitive to how my brain works, but basically by paying off our debts, it made it look like we were a poor lender, which to me, if I look at that and say, we paid off all of our debts, we should means we're trustworthy. But I guess in the world of business, that is not the case. Yes, that was a hard economic pill for me to swallow too, of trying to differentiate the good debt and the bad debt is a bit of a choice because like with a bad debt for example the best example i came across was student loans you can't bankruptcy you can't get rid of it good debt is like you have forty thousand, but you're only paying one point interest so you what you do is you pay the bare minimum and use that other i don't know 38 30, to invest to get more capital somewhere else so you're taking on debt to invest something bigger it's almost like you're taking a a, a step back to take a giant leap forward is what I could understand for taking debt and not debt. Another thing in history I want to add on, Nick, is the United States, I think, if I remember correctly, has declared bankruptcy seven times, which I did not know a country could declare bankruptcy. And also I thought it was... I think they just... Normally it's called uh, becoming a socialist country or a communist country, but there's different words for it, I guess. Yeah, I guess uh, in in Russia, you become uh, Soviets. And in the United States, we just go to the Supreme Court and I think borrow some money from world banks or simply borrow money from individuals or kind of absolve us of our debts. I, it's the, the bankruptcy declare of a country is confusing to me. But America has done it a few times throughout history, which is so confusing to me. It's going back to you said with Hamilton of like, well... Why most countries or a lot of people in history have simply just said, let's not pay back our debts. And I guess that was the United States way of doing it. Because Nick, there's something we kind of failed to mention is the national debt is a really national issue, not much of a world issue. Yes, some foreign countries own some national debt, but we'll get into that later on. I mean, it is a world issue in the fact that most countries do have a national debt. I mean, pretty much, I don't, I don't know of any countries that don't. I didn't really look for that, but it, to me, it seems like every country has a national debt. Now, obviously, the United States is the biggest, you know, go big or go home. But uh, it, some is a lot more manageable, I guess. But because we have, basically, from what I understand, because we have such a great economy and produce so much that even though our debt is huge, people still feel safe lending to us and borrowing from us and doing all the fun business stuff with us. Too big to fail, Nick. Too big to fail. But I do want to go back to what you said with the highest debt being during war times. To me, it wasn't also just war times, but also financial crashes and pandemics. Anytime there's a large occurrence in a statewide or federal-wide event, they just pump out money, bonds, and the whole nine yards just to get revenues going to get stuff going to solve whatever problem and it's quite amazing how much money actually of our national debt goes into the military complex yeah and i guess it's so 
we should kind of explain how like the spending and uh, kind of how Congress and the Treasury Department are related. So basically every spending bill has to be approved by Congress. People always blame it on the presidency. Like they say, you know, this president paid this percentage and or raised the debt, lowered the debt. But really, it's all in the hands of Congress. I mean, the president can, you know, it say they want some type of legislation, but the executive branch doesn't do that. That's that's Congress's job. And so they say how much they're going to spend every year. Congress is also in charge of the debt ceiling. So they say how much we can borrow. And it's crazy to me or how much they can spend. And these are the same people who come in a panic like, oh my gosh, we're going to hit the debt ceiling. So you you put that number there. Like, <laughs> this shouldn't be a surprise. You approve, You put that debt ceiling in place and then approved the budget. And now you're coming back to us surprised because the things you did played out? Like, I guess I'm just confused. Yeah, it is. Well, it's, am- I, it's amazing how quickly Congress forgets. But like you said, for the most part, the U.S. Treasury prints money. The Congress decides where it goes. The president's job is to enforce and enact the Congress decision. And the Federal Reserves kind of hold the money and, and shift the money around when the money gets overspent, underspent, or there's excess of it. So to elaborate, let's start with the U.S. Treasury. So the U.S. Treasury is getting money, and when Congress says they raise the debt ceiling to some astronomical number, which I can't even imagine, which I want to talk about in a second, the majority of it comes from taxpayers' money. Taxpayer money going in, government, uh, Congress deciding where it's going to get spent, and gets divvied out that way. Another way U.S. Treasury develops wealth for Congress to spend is through bonds, and that tends to be a big one. It's like a, a nearly safe form of investment. So what happens is if me and Nick put $100 together on a bond for 30 years at, I don't know, 4% uh, interest rate, we get that 4% every year for 30 years, and then we can recall our money back after that 30-year mark. That's a great way for them to waive capital because based on legal loopholes, that's how some private companies move their money around to be tax-free. That's how some agencies, if they get, like, say, I don't know, a park ranger agency gets a million dollars, but they only need 700000 Rather than giving the money back to Congress, because in order to do that, Congress would have to vote on it. So every time there's an excess of money, they would have to vote on it. The agencies simply put those monies into bonds. So they're putting investments into their agencies to get more money by giving money back that they didn't want to spend to Congress by giving it to Congress in a way that they don't have to vote on it so they can divvy it out somewhere else, which is confusing as hell. Again, this is all like a shell game to me. And then the U.S. president goes, all right, this is what Congress says. This is how we're spending it. This is how we're going to enforce it. And it's, Nick, this is, it's, I'll be honest with you. This is a spider web of entanglement of something that should be, I think, pretty simple. Of like, I give you money, you give me money back. I have excess money, I give this money, much money back. I, I, it's confusing, Nick. Yeah. So to me, it just seems like it's, it's different ways to move money around be, through, because we have a certain system of checks and balances, politicians, and all these agencies can't get everything they want done their way if they 
didn't do stuff like this. So basically all this moving money around is ways to drum up money. One, to without raising taxes to get more money and two, to move money around in ways that if they want to give an agency money but don't have like the uh, clearance to do it pretty much. So they can just go and do whatever they want. Yes, I also think it's important to note on these bonds, the average interest rate on federal borrowing is about 2%, somewhere around there. And interest rate payments are about 2% of the GDP. The Federal Reserve is about 24% of the GDP. Interest payments are also about 8.3% of the budget. So what that means is the national debt doesn't exactly follow or fluctuate with a country's GDP. They are correlated but not causated, which I thought was very interesting because, Nick, I don't know about you, but I thought if a country was bidding X amount of money, that would mean an X amount of debt or something like that. I thought higher GDP, lower debt, but that doesn't seem to matter whether you have high or low GDP. It's just depending on how much faith the world has in your country. Yeah. So, yeah, people really don't seem to care as long as you can produce, which basically... Everything that I heard from every economist is basically saying we can literally borrow or print as much money as we want as long as we keep producing the way we do because people have so much faith that we're going to continue to grow as a country that we can do pretty much anything and people will still invest with us, still still trust our currency. Talk about fake it till you make it. Which, I mean, I, I guess... Like, our no one's money is really tied to anything. So it's like, might as well tie it to productivity. I don't know. Well, continuing on, because the productivity thing is very interesting, because that's heavily tied in with where people are getting productions, which is not as popular in the United States as it used to be. But going, going back to Congress on how they vote and move things around, I want to go back to this uh, debt ceiling. Like you mentioned, Nick, it's like, Oh my God! How did we get to this point when we just made up this number about five years ago? How did we? How did we forget? So the debt ceiling, for the most part, in my at least my opinion, is a facade. It's most countries that have a don't have a debt ceiling. The other country that has a debt ceiling, I can't remember what it is. It's somewhere in Europe. I think it might be Denmark. It's so ridiculously high they'll never meet it. It is Denmark. Oh look at the right. Look at that. I got a good. I got a decent memory. Uh, but the national debt is simply, I guess, a check and balance of like, hey, we're getting to this point, we need to renegotiate. But we've always raised the national debt. National debt pretty much means nothing when it comes to the debt ceiling. Debt ceiling. So, I got some numbers for you, Mike. When you say always raise, since nineteen sixty. Congress has acted 78 times <laughs> to either permanently or temporarily extend or change the definition of debt limit. 78 so, times? To do the quick math for you guys, that's 61 years. So in 61 years, we raised the debt ceiling 78 times. Yeah, net, the debt ceiling just it does means absolutely nothing. And I, to be honest with you, Nick, it almost seems like a way for Congress to reassemble to vote on something so they get more money. That's 
that's the best reason I come up with it because they always are going to raise it. They're, I mean, it's come close a few times from them not raising it, which could have been an issue. But again, there's only one other country besides the United States that has a debt ceiling. So it's it's just smoke and mirrors to me. I don't know if you have a different opinion on that. Two things. So one, speaking of just how much the president gets blamed for this when it's all Congress, I'm on the Treasury Department's website, which is where I got that number, and they list the exact quote is after 78 separate times to raise says 49 times under Republican presidents and 29 times under Democratic presidents, but the president doesn't raise or lower the debt ceiling. So tell us who ran Congress <laughs> when we did it. Like, that's 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 stupid. Hey, Nick, a little little inside uh, joke for you, but it's probably the same people who did it the previous 50 years. Um, yeah, <laughs> I have no idea. Um, so uh, on the debt ceiling, though, so Poland has a debt ceiling that's actually tied to its GDP. So their public debt limit is 55% of their GDP, and it's a constitutional requirement. So you can't raise it past X percentage of GDP. And basically, if you do, you have to. the next year's budget has to fall with those two years under the percentage to remain viable. And that's in the Constitution. So that's got a little bit more teeth than uh, just Congress being like, YOLO, let's... <laughs> Do you want to spend more money? Yeah. I, w I wonder how that affects their country's GDP. I don't know uh, Poland's GDP, but I don't... I imagine it's not... I imagine it's somewhere in the middle of the bell curve, not exactly at the high but end of the bell curve. Yeah. It's just... Uh, it's like, oh, should we go to Eastern Europe to figure out how to solve our debt crisis? Because that seems seems interesting. It do That really does seem... It... it, it it feels very foreign to me that our national debt is not tied into our GDP in a direct line. I figure that had been very obvious to do for a country, but I could be wrong. Again, the economists seem to know more than I do, which is, like you said, Nick, either a really good thing or a really bad thing. But something I want to point out before you finish your second thought, Nick, is we never said what the national debt is at this recording. It's nearly $30 trillion at the moment. It's uh, it's two hundred billion off from thirty trillion, which is a almost unfathomable amount of money. Yeah, someone I was listening to someone explain how much money thirty trillion dollars is, and basically said, if you spent one million dollars a day, it would take you like three thousand years to get to thirty trillion dollars. Ooh wee! And I, I could probably spend a million dollars a day if I had to, right? But like every single day. Yeah, that gets for I mean that's that's wild. Um but yeah, that's I just I can't comprehend the size of that number. I it's it's almost uncomparable. Uh I also want to note that the US GDP is close to 21, 22, 23 tr uh it's depending on who you ask, it kind of changes, but not too far off from national debt. It's still different. The GDP is lower than the national debt, but I did find that interesting. I did not I did not come across Poland. I'm very happy you found that. We should make a bunch of like fake memes about the national debt. Like you know those memes that's like there's so many there's like X number of stars in the sky, be like there's X numbers of pieces of sand on the beach or 
half of the U.S. national debt, like shit like that. <laughs> you know, you're probably not too wrong with those figures. Yeah, if you if you looked at if you took each piece of a water molecule from the pool and then each each sold it for a dollar, you would not be able to pay the United States national debt. I don't know. It's I mean, it's almost it's it's really a made up number, right? Like there's nothing that we like we can do. We might as well just start making it random things. Well, that kind of goes back to how it works, I think a little bit is so I mentioned margin call, which is pretty much, uh, like you know, the Great Depression, people rush to the banks to get their money out. A margin call is usually when a large sum of money is trying to be collected because they're worried about your 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 image. You, they might be worried not be able to pay it back at all, so they want you know an X amount of money back just to make sure your proof that you're still good. Will probably never happen for national debt, so no one will ever try to immediately collect the national debt. So countries that have national debt. That's exactly what Greece said. <laughs> Last words of an empire. They'll never come to pay to collect their taxes. Uh, but yeah, it's again, it's all about imagery. It's how we possibly might look, not how we actually are. And that's a lot how the national debt works. So the U.S. Treasury... Ten, sends taxes to pay for what Congress wants to pay for. If it doesn't have enough money, it uses bonds uh, to raise the extra capital and send it. Now, Congress isn't just doing this for a new bill, X, Y, and Z, but it's also going to the military-industrial complex. It's going to schools. It's going to medical care. It's kind of everyday systems and government, which I am— also very confused on how it seems uh, inflation does not really tie a direct line to national debt it seems like uh, like nick when we're doing the drinking bill podcast which you should go check out backyard philosophy or anywhere you listen to podcasts they just kind of make up numbers i like i can't find their reasoning or the why they choose certain numbers to raise capital of yeah one i think it's a combination of two things one, they need a number big enough to get the attention of their constituents, but small enough that no one else is going to really put up too big of a deal. Basically, you have to you have to spend money to prove that you're doing something in Congress, and it does. And the we can, we blame Congress all we want, but really this is our fault because we demand that all our politicians spend money on us instead of promoting politicians who want things like a somewhat balanced budget. I mean, uh, the conservative party, the conservative ideals like fiscal responsibility, it's a, it's it's almost a joke. I mean, the the Democratic Party doesn't have to pretend like being fiscally conservative isn't one of their huge tenets, but for the a party whose huge tenet is being fiscally conservative, our government just spends and spends and spends. Yeah, it seems like instead of having financially smart uh politicians, we should just we should just try to settle for financially inept uh, <laughs> uh, politicians because they their solution to everything, at least from what I can tell, is to throw money at it. Now, again, with the national debt, this is where we might disagree. I don't know if the national debt is exactly a bad thing. Because like you mentioned, Nick, there's good debt and there's bad debt. The national debt to me almost seems more good debt than bad debt. 
yes and no. I agree and disagree with you. Yeah, I'm not saying we we go down to zero. We do need some kind of debt to show other countries that it's safe to invest, do business, and also like in in case we need to borrow. And even though every economist is like, oh no, no one's ever going to come and try and collect. It just seems like why why put ourselves in the situation where if something did happen, we couldn't pay. So right now, the United States, all, all basically their estimated revenue from taxes for one year is three point eight six three trillion. Which means if every year we didn't spend any money on any public service, any government sponsored medical stuff, defense, I mean transportation, it'd take us ten years to pay off. Could we maybe make it to where the national debt we could pay off in like two, three years if we had to? Like something reasonable where if so- someone did come to collect that there is an actual real chance we could pay it off. I agree with you that it doesn't seem like we have a cohesive plan for the national debt. I agree with that. But the movement of money allows, in my opinion, for more loans that go out for businesses, uh, breaks for companies, also a lot more programs. Like I didn't realize how large a spending percentage goes to stuff like Medicare, uh, roads, highways, uh, again, the military industrial complex, which is a conversation I want to have. It's, I find it funny that, uh, we spent a lot of money on roads and highways, Nick, but I'll be honest with you. I don't really see the results. They seem to be always broken. Yeah, you got to get to live in a district of a higher up member of Congress. That's the the solution there. Perhaps this might be a good point to explain how the national debt is divided. So the national debt, in my opinion, I might be a little bit wrong on this, but majority of it, the national debt. Okay, um, I did want to get before we get into who that divided, talking about good debt and bad debt conversation i did want to say why i think it should go it's important to pay it down at least a little bit because we're currently paying interest on all these loans basically fit about depending on what source you look at it's anywhere from like 10 to 20 and obviously it's going to depend on how much taxes you make but i think 15 percent is a number i saw two times so we'll go with that 15 percent of all your taxes just go into paying the interest on the debt so if we lower our debt, we lower the interest we pay on that debt, which means more of our tax money goes to things like roads and stuff. Or congressmen's paychecks. More congressmen's paychecks. And everyone always says, I feel like my tax money isn't going anywhere. Well, that's because a lot of it's going to just paying interest on our debts of stuff we've already paid for. So I think paying back that stuff we've already paid for or paying off most of that stuff we paid for so that then we can use you know, another 15% to pay for stuff that we can get now. So I, that's why I think it's important to have debt, yes, but also let's not pay as much interest. I don't know. No, I, I agree. I mean, my biggest issue is that we don't have a plan for the national debt. I think overall, national debt is not as bad as everyone makes it almost like a fear-mongling. It's not as bad as everyone thinks. I do want to point out, though, I would be curious on who we try to pay off for the debt so 
if we pay off our national debt that's owned by foreign governments, I still think the interest rates that we're paying for the public citizens and the federal government agencies, that's just money being spent in our country that'll get, in my opinion, spent so it stays in our country, which I think might be a good thing. I This is all very questionable. Again, I am a fool with a capital F. I'm not quite sure what this means. It's just an idea that I had is if we're going to pay off the debt, pay off foreign national debt that we owe first. So that way any debt that's inside the country is when we pay it off is spent in the country. So it generates more wealth, if that makes sense. Well, I think there there's two types of debt in the national debt. There's intragovernmental holdings and debt held by the public. And like you said, you know, foreign countries yeah maybe we'll we don't want to pay that off because we want to continue to have credit with them and that's in uh of the the debt like most of it i don't have a percentage i just have a graph but i'd say like 20 percent of it is the intra-government and the other 70 or oh my god i'm bad at math 80 percent is the debt held by the public and the debt held by the public that includes um foreign uh, government's debt to us. Um, and kind of a quick side note, of the foreign countries who hold you know, U.S. debt, Japan is actually the biggest um, as of, this is 2018, so obviously things could have changed. But as of 2018, Japan uh, holds $1.3 of our debt, China owns 1.07, followed by the UK, then Ireland, Luxembourg, Cayman Islands, Brazil, Taiwan, France, and Hong Kong. So that's who we owe. So I actually, uh, the only thing that I saw really differently was that Ireland was, the order I saw was Japan, China, UK, Ireland, Luxembourg, and then the same with you, which it's, that's kind of negligible when it comes to that. But Nick, the percentages I saw is 18%. 15%, 6%, 4%, 3.8%. For the top five, that adds to be close to 45, 47% of our national debt. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I agree. But I think the easiest, like if we're, we got to start off on training wheels, right? I mean, we're essentially a teenager who stole a credit card. I mean, we who stole a millionaire's credit card. <laughs> I mean, this is, we're weekend at Bernie's right now. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we are a young but country. But I think the the easiest would be to pay off the intergovernmental debt. And what that is, is so some agencies, like some government agencies, like Social Security, if they get more money in revenue from, you know, people paying them and taxes, then they, then they need to function. They take that money and they invest it into the treasury. AKA bonds. If a government Yeah, if a government <coughs> if a government agency takes has extra money, we we should use that to pay off our interest. So yes and no. When you when we but if we're taking it and pay and doing like a bond, we're basically paying twice for that money. Yes. So what we're actually paying is not to have Congress formed together to vote on how to spend the money. So to me, it's almost like a tax to bypass it. I don't know if I agree with it, to be honest with you, but that's how I see it in my mindset. Like I mentioned with the park rangers analogy, it's, well, if you have excess money, 
I mean, even some unions and people's funds, they all depend on the bonds going to the government, is they take the excess money, spend it on bonds, which is guaranteed, and they get like a, I don't know, 2 to 5% interest rate back. I assume closer to 2 Then the government gets free access to spend that money, which it's the United States being in debt with itself. So the federal government being in debt to a federal organization, which if you're in debt to yourself, I don't know if that really considers as debt. Like, I don't know if that's my major priority. Again, I don't know, but it's almost to me like if... I mean, it sounds like it's it's 6.1 trillion of our debt is that it so it's I mean, 6.1 guess... trillion that's all within held within the federal government one way or the other if it gets paid it gets paid to the federal government if it does doesn't get paid it's the federal government in debt so i mean right but i i guess so because i i looked up why can't we just dissolve those right like it's the government paying itself for money why can't we just dissolve that and because i mean that's like what you're saying right is you're essentially in debt to yourself. So what's what's the point? And I guess the reason is because you can't, it, there is goods and services that were exchanged. So like, say, uh, I'm just making this up. This is not maybe a real life example. Maybe not, I don't know. Say TSA bought five body scanning machines from Homeland Security. That money still moved. So you can't just dissolve that because goods were exchanged so that, like then, then some agency basically no agency wants to get fucked over by helping another agency, so they have to go do this. Oh yeah, to me, all of this national debt is almost a facade. It's almost a shell game, just to have money move around, to say move money had moved around. It's that to me, the national debt is pretty much a lot of just hearsay, seashay, and sh- uh, smoke and mirrors. It's I. I I completely agree with you, Nick. It's confusing why they just can't cancel if it's going to be debt with yourself. I don't know why you have to go through all the bells and whistles to pay yourself. So here's a thought then, Mike, because we both kind of agree we need some kind of national debt and the percentage or you know how much is up for debate. But what about all the treasury bonds and stock and stuff like that? What if we just started buying, you know, stopped giving those out and started paying those off so that the the national debt basically becomes who do we owe, you know, out of foreign countries and basically only use bonds during wartime or something extreme when we actually do need to raise like money instead of using it as another crutch to get around, you know, paying for stuff. Well, that is a bit of an issue because... We failed to mention a major part of our national debt, which is the public, which is the companies, the banks, us as individuals paying into government bonds that feeds into the national debt. That's a huge topic point, I, which if we pay off the, the federal debt, that doesn't make the public debt go away. And I'm more... So the for... Um... The Treasury Securities, so that's your your bonds and stuff like that. For 2021, 11 trillion was owned by the Feds and other government agencies, and then foreign owned 7.3 trillion, and then the next so mutual funds owned 3.63 trillion, and then depository institutions. That's banks, right? 
yes. 1.35 trillion and then state and local governments own 1.17 trillion pension funds own 1.13 trillion insurance companies own 38.1 billion we're in the billion so we're getting we're getting out of there us saving us saving bonds is 145.7 billion so i think that's to individual like the public like you know your grandma has a bond kind of stuff like that and then others 2.2 trillion so I, I think the majority of these securities are are held 11 trillion are held by the, the feds themselves which is 11 trillion that's a third of the the debt i saw uh what would what would your public trillion what was your public trillion if 11 trillion was your uh federal cuz i'm i i think i have different numbers which Again, this is kind of conflicting depending on which economics you research or which person you listen to. Um, my public was, does your public include like state governments, pension funds? Because I mean, my... All, my public uh, and federal debt comes to about $22 trillion. Your public and federal? Yes. I don't know. Maybe we're looking at... Some, I mean, that's like completely different because my federal is $11 trillion. That's That's... that's why i'm confused because when i look at foreign national debt i mean 1.3 trillion for japan 1 trillion for china i'm i'm trying to and we're almost at 30 yeah that's what i that's what i see for foreign debt yeah foreign i foreign debt our numbers are the same i just we have different numbers for public and federal which I, that's which i think people just classify yeah. them under separate things I think is what we're running into here. But so, what's your your public number again? It's somewhere in my notes. I don't have. I can't quite find public separate from my federal at the moment. But in total, I have them at twenty two. Yeah, I, th I think that checks out. So basically, because I have seven trillion for foreign. Basically, your number is all of the subdivided of my numbers put together. Gotcha. 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 I was, it's just the engineer and me just making sure the maths adds up. But, uh, sorry about that tangent, Nick. Apologies. Uh, but going back to the private, I mean, even banks and, uh, banks, organizations, businesses, and then coming back to the individuals, it's kind of good to have the bond accessibility because bonds are pretty reliable for, I mean, they're low interest rates, but they're pretty safe to invest in which is kind of good for the public which we want i i don't know if we want to completely absolve the bonds between the public and the federal government i mean i guess i mean we got to cut something so what do you propose we cut uh well let's start off with the i mean i guess let's congressman's paychecks. would you rather <laughs> okay fair good point fair um so would you rather cut public Inter so would three what do you think would you would cut first foreign debt public debt intergovernment agency debt inter uh intergovernment uh agency debt but i don't mean just cut it by remove it i mean re refinance it pretty much i don't personally like how the federal government spending its money with the federal government agencies i feel like it's very inept and I don't like, like we mentioned earlier, how in wartime the debt ceiling gets extremely raised and a lot of money goes into that sector. I am all for new technologies, new weapons, and protecting our country. 
but I'm not exactly the happiest how it's handled. I'm not, and overall, I'm not han- happy how the federal government handles paying out federal-owned divisions. Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely, it's it's very clearly, like you said, a shell game, a way to move for agencies to move money around. And so maybe the answer is somewhere in providing agencies a way to move money around, you know, themselves, give them, I mean, we have so many agencies and a lot of them do the same things. Sometimes they need to pay each other. I mean, you're, you're talking like Homeland Security working with Border Patrol. I mean, it's, they're pretty, they're, they're very similar function and they're different in a lot of aspects, but you can see how they'd play with each other, you know, and same as well, border security or border patrol working with the Coast Guard. Like it's, there's joint operations that are run all the time. And so maybe the solution is in giving them more leeway to give money here or there. I, I Personally, I think a big problem, uh, I think it's pennies, but I think it's pennies that may add up to something huge is the way we do our budgets. For the government, for those of you who don't know, is basically if you don't spend it, you lose it. So if you ask for, say you're, you know, a, I don't know, park service for, you know, Yellowstone, and you ask for, a, this is a completely made up number, I have no to idea. To clean the river or something. Well, just say for the year, you get uh, $1, billion, or $1 million, and say you spend $90 million. But next year, you have a project that you didn't have the previous year, so you're going to need, you know, $1.2 million. Well, they look at the last year and say, well, you only needed 90, so we're going to give you 90. But if they spend that million dollars, then they can say, hey, look, we spent it all. We're going to need more next year. Someone's like, oh, okay, well, since you spent it all. And so uh, for those of you who haven't worked in the in or around the federal government <laughs> new trucks you may know <laughs> you may know that once that end of the year approaches they need to get rid of that money so that's when they buy new trucks new chainsaws new tools i mean anything that they could think of to get rid of that money so that they're done at the end of the year and that's money that you know, i i think there should be some kind of bonus to get that money back like you know but you don't want to do a percentage so say you say hey like if you you can keep you know X percentage that you of the budget, if this you know if you give X percentage back, you don't spend it. That's just going to encourage people to ask for more than they need, so that they get more back. I completely agree with that statement. Uh, to me, I'm surprised there's not like a a bank for federal agencies. Like like let's say let's stick with your analogy. A million dollars goes to some park system, and they spend. Nine hundred thousand dollars. Well, that hundred thousand, maybe like fifty thousand, goes back to the federal government. The other fifty thousand goes into a bank, which is on reserve for that park for I don't know a unforeseen circumstance. So they have access to the money they need it to either hire seasonal people to I don't know help pay uh, health insurance or something like that for their employees. Just like almost run each smaller organization as its own entity. That's just on the underneath the umbrella of the federal government, rather than have it being so interwoven with the lower stature to the higher stature. I completely agree with you, Nick. It is hilarious to see how much spending is done at the end of the season. You're like, well, if we want to have our money back, we're gonna to have to spend all of this within of all of November and December just to make sure we get our money back and then some for next season. Yeah, and it's it's crazy because. I work in natural resources from the 
private side. So we don't have that. We just look at basically what we're doing next year and how much we think it'll cost. But in natural resources, you have ebbs and flows because nature ebbs and flows. So if you have a huge fire and you got to replant an extra couple hundred acres, you need to buy trees and pay planting crews to do that. But once that's all planted, next year you have like half the work. But then maybe next year there's another fire. You have to ask for double your budget. It just doesn't work like that. So the way they do is they just plan to that they're going to have to spend a bunch of money. And if they don't spend it, they get to buy a bunch of new shit because they might need it next year. And it's true. They might need it next year. But they won't get it if they don't do if they don't spend that close to amount the previous year. To me, it's the budget shouldn't be based on how much you spent last year. It should be based on what you're going to do next year. Yeah, it's how how much you actually need, not how much you actually think you might want. Yeah, I mean, obviously you're going to use your your costs from the previous year, but I don't know. But also, I'm not an accountant, and doing accountant stuff makes me kind of insane. I hate budgets, and I hate budgeting, and I hate uh, having to stick to said budgets just because things change and there needs to be you know some kind of system because things can change and so we need some kind of like you said where if there's something that comes up like say a wildfire and we need to pay for tree removal or you know dangerous to the highway there's it's causing and whatever invasive species there needs to be way land yeah some way to do that because things happen but it doesn't need to be everything right like it's there needs to be you know, some kind of control like it i don't know the, i think this the whole the way the government every single agency spends money they need to someone needs to go and, and, and look at that completely agree it almost seems like like i th- like you said nick earlier with man you're really on the ball today but a, a kid with their parents credit card i like i don't see any accountability i don't see a lot of their reasoning for how the budgets are structured Granted, it might just not, I don't get to see the underworkings. It might be that I did not dive deep enough into the rabbit hole, but it doesn't seem like a well thought out plan. It almost just seems like, eh, this is, seems like a decent amount of money. Let's just throw that at that and see what happens, which is not usually the best idea because this might astray a little bit from national debt, but businesses aren't allowed to get loans. Like, all right, for those who don't know, most businesses are in some form of debt. They buy, you know, stuff to to build their business, to create a business, to invest, to do stuff like that. Businesses are constantly in debt, but they're not able to get loans unless they come up with a business plan, show a need, and have a, like a well-thought-out idea and a structure to get there. So why is the federal government not the same, which is confusing to me? Yeah, and the... The argument that I've seen people throw up is one kind of your argument of the government should run like a business. And then people are, well, the government's not a business. It doesn't, if the intent of the government isn't to make money, which like, I get, I understand that. Well, just to interject right but here, fast, is the national debt is actually kind of run very business-like. It is very similar to be, being run to a business currently. It just doesn't have a good business plan. Sorry, please continue. Yeah, I mean, right. I mean, that's... Yeah, businesses take out debts so they can buy things and invest in themselves. And the government is, in a sense, doing that, but they have no plan to at least to to pay back any of that. Really, they're just passing the buck to to us. 
And again, like I said, yes, this is all Congress's fault, but we are the ones who elected them. And we continue to elect people to Congress who spend because we continually ask our representatives for things instead of asking them to stop spending all of our money. We want new parks. We want new roads. We want all this cool stuff, knowing that we're going to make our grandkids pay for it, right? I mean, we're a perfect example of that. We're playing for Social Security and Medicare, which probably me nor you, Nick, will ever see in our lifespans. It's like the uh, the South Park episode when um, the the devil can't what I figured exactly what happened, but a bunch of bad shit was happening because their grandparents made a deal with the devil that they could have like oh, cars and oh they can, ice cream. They keep their driver's license and get to go to the Waffle House. And but then uh, they had to make the same deal because the devil was like, "Well, oh yeah." They were like, "Yeah, we'll get rid of our cars and ice cream." And they're like, "No, you have to give up Red Dead Redemption and soy sauce." And they're like, "All right, sign us up for another 20 years." <laughs> <or something." laughs> it's bad tasting medicine that no one really wants. But another thing I want to address, Nick, and I'm sorry for hopping all over. This, I'll be honest with you, Nick. This is not my area of expertise, so it, this is all kind of new territory for me. But for the national debt, I think two key words are both start with an I: inflation and an in, and interest. And I cannot think of two things that either should or they do have heavy ties with the national debt. And I want to start with interest because I mentioned it a little bit earlier in the podcast with the the treasury auctions, which had no idea that there was a thing. The treasury auctions, for the most part, is what determines the interest rates on the bonds, which is a major part of the Congress getting money to spend for federal organizations. And this treasury auction is a process that sells and buys securities, which when researching this, I still have no idea how it works. It's almost like, to me, gambling on whether this is a good price or a bad price. And the government's trying to get the one that gives you the best interest rate, so the lowest interest rate, but the highest for their own independent interest rate. It's confusing as hell to me. But it's. I want to talk about the interest rate for a little bit, Nick, because I don't understand how the interest rate does not fluctuate with the GDP. I don't understand how the interest rate is so static when interest rate for like mortgage homes can be dynamic or they can change at a notice whim. I don't understand how the national debt, if economy tanks, the interest rate stays the same. Or if the economy is doing fantastic, the interest rate stays the same. And I don't know if you came across this at all in your research. Um, I mean, a little bit. I So... Inflation in the national debt, from kind of from what I understand, is people don't really seem to be concerned about it, mostly because it's the government that can print the money. So a lot of people are like, oh, well, we can just keep printing money. And inflation is actually good for the debt because we're using the same amount of money, which is really less money, to like pay things back. So printing money is... Printing tons of money has never gone bad in history, ever. Okay, so this is, that's my exact thought. But all these economists are just like, no, it's fine. The government can just keep printing money as long as basically the U.S. keeps producing goods. Has economics totally never fine. taken a history class? I feel like I feel like those two need to get together real soon. Like I feel like history and economics need to somehow come together and talk. I don't know. Like I said, I don't know if I said it 
on the podcast or before recording, I've never listened to a group of people who have A, so much faith in the dollar and so much faith in the federal government. And so they're either like they re either really know what they're talking about or they have no idea. And I don't I can't quite figure out which one it is. I think I think that they have no idea because I'm going to be honest with you, Nick. The dollar has decreased in value. Inflation's at an all-time high. And, well, if, if their solution is simply print more money, that's a pretty shitty solution, in my opinion. And I'm, I'm an idiot, and I feel like that's a really dumb idea. I could be wrong, but that's my gut feeling. It worked for Venezuela, right? And Germany. And Russia. And, Germany, and Russia. And China. And UK after the uh, East Indian Trading Company dissolved. Yeah, it worked all those times, right? So I think we're good. <laughs> yeah, eighth time's the charm. Everyone knows that. But what's your opinion? What's your opinion on the economic? At the what's your opinion on the economics? The economists of how they feel about the national debt? Because I'll be honest with you, I'm worried about the U.S. dollar bill, and I don't like how the government's handling national debt. But I am curious about your opinion on this. My opinion on the on the national debt and the interest rate start or... start with how you feel about the economics the economists saying trust the congress trust the dollar bill then i would say how they feel about then how you feel about the national debt then how you feel about interest less inflation so personally i think economists really only care about the stock market so if inflation is rising and the stock market's doing good they're just like no it's all fine but if the stock market starts to go down and inflation is rising, like this is the end of the world. I, I mean, I really think that as long as the stock market's doing okay, they really don't care about anything else. I think it's concerning to me um, just at the how much we have. When you look at a country that we our debt is often compared to, Japan, their debt is $12.2 trillion, which is 266% um, of their GDP. And that's higher than ours. Um, and so people are saying we don't have anything to worry about until Japan has something to worry about because they're going to go first because even though they have less debt, they have a higher percentage of GDP. I do think there is something to the economist saying as long as the U.S. continues to produce an economy, produce goods and services at, a, at an increasing percentage. I mean, every year we are if not making more physical things, ideas and, and stuff and businesses are being created in the United States. And that's really what people are using as currency, just the idea that the U.S. will continue to grow. So I do understand where they're coming from there, saying as long as we continue to grow as a country and grow our GDP, grow our all that stuff, that people will continue to do business with us and, and lend and borrow and we can buy and borrow and lend. So I, I do get where they're coming from, and I, I guess what my, the only thing I really don't share with them is that I think inflation isn't as planned as, as maybe they think. I mean, maybe, you know, the normal rate of inflation I can understand, but the hyperinflation we're seeing nowadays is definitely concerning, and I, I don't think it's a super well-thought-out attempt to use less money to pay off our, our debt, which, you know— I guess would be smart to do right now while our money is worth less. <laughs> Let's pay off some of that debt. But yeah, I don't know. I, it's concerning to me the amount. I mean, like they said, Japan, which owes, you know, more more than we do percentage wise, is still only twelve point two trillion dollars. 
and we're triple that. And obviously we're a way bigger country than Japan, but it's just, I, this is one of those things where I'd like the U.S. to be around the same as everyone else, right? Like, let's have a somewhat more reasonable debt. I'm not saying let's get rid of debt, but let's be be reasonable in how much we owe. I mean, I think if you ask anyone, they'd say, hey, is is being $30 trillion in debt good? I mean, really, how can you say yes to that? Well, my biggest issue is I don't like the economics saying that the government knows what they're doing. I don't think every, anyone in history has ever really said that, like you mentioned, maybe on air or off air. But I also don't like how we don't have a plan because our right now our plan is everything's fine until it's not that to me is a shitty plan i don't maybe the plan isn't shared with the general public so the uh that's the line from the new magnificent seven where the guy is falling out the window he's like how are you doing he's like i'm fine (laughs) (laughs) oh he's fine all the way until he hit the bottom nick you one of my favorite posters slash uh, jokes is a man jumps off a skyscraper. He passes the man on 22nd floor. The man on 22nd floor asks, how's he doing? The man's falling says, so far, so good. Yep, that's the one. I absolutely love that artwork. And once I have money, I want to buy a replica of it. So, I mean, that's that's kind of how I feel like the debt is. Yeah, I, def- I agree that, I don't know, they seem to have more faith in, in the U.S. government than, I mean, really anyone. Like anyone I've ever met, they seem to have more faith in the U.S. government. But again, I think it's all tied to the stock market. I think if the stock market's doing good, everything's fine. It's until, until the, with economists, until the stock market starts to do shit, they don't care. I think that's, I mean, I think you saw this. Um, I mean, it, if you watch the news, when inflation started to really rise in you know, the U.S., like, you know, end of 2021, mid 2021 whatever 2022 the stock market continued to to rise and everyone was like oh no this is fine like all the economists like no everything's fine it's because the stock market was doing good and their money was doing good now that the stock market's kind of stalled out everyone's like whoa what the fuck or now economists are concerned so i think they're just a more reactionary group i don't know that's just my two cents yeah no i i definitely can see that point I just, I do want to alliterate that I think national debt as a concept is a good idea. The only major thing I'm concerned about is the execution. And I think, I think many might agree with me with on that is just, you need debt to move money around to invest in new ideas and stuff like that and show trust in the public that you're trying to move forward, but you got to make sure you do it the right way. And that is the major concern I have with how the national debt is being handled. Yeah, I do. I do like your saying of there is no plan. Like we just continue to borrow and borrow and there's no plan to not pay it off because that's it's we're I think we're kind of past that point. But to get to a more reasonable thing, it'd be nice to see someone come forward with this is what we got to do. I don't know if you if you had a plan, Mike. Uh, I have some dumb ideas for getting ahead of ourselves. No. Well, no, I I got some dumb ideas and I don't really have much on more on how the interworkings of national debt have but my uh my idea for national debt is to use that debt double down into exploration of space and just get a shit ton of minerals resources and build our economy through that so use our debt to invest into our future of space mining and gathering the future like yes there are foreign threats yes there are agencies that need money 
But maybe we switch our money into more looking up to the stars and think more long-term, past five years. So we start thinking about 20 years from now, what the world's going to look like. And let's invest towards that. So start mining Saturn rings, the asteroid belt, et cetera, et cetera. That's where I can see the national debt kind of staying how it is, but still have a plan to absolve it in the future. What about you? Did you come up with any ideas or solutions? Well, so one similar but maybe more feasible, more immediate, I guess, action is the U.S. has a lot of land, like a lot. And I'm not saying to sell it, but there's a lot of timber and resources that we have that we could monetize. Um, I mean, if I'm not mistaken, that's how Andrew Jackson got us out of debt, right? He sold federal land. Yeah, I think so. But I'm not advocating for a land sale, but there's a lot of timber that could be cut or, you know, mineral rights that can be sold and as a way to, to pay for that. And the reason I say that is because I mean, the most realistic is we need to cut back on our spending. Yeah, no, <laughs> but that, agree, completely agree. But that's not going to happen. Yeah. We're never going to cut back on our spending. But we could get supplemental income from selling that some timber, you know, selling some mineral rights that the U.S. has. I mean, there's, I mean, hold on. Let me look and see how much how much land the United States owns. Well, why you investigate land, I do want to say. Oh, charge for, um charge for grazing rights stuff like that yeah that probably is not the worst idea but maybe take in other problems like we mentioned in, in uh nuclear waste on uh, many countries have a problem with nuclear waste like france that we could take money and we could charge them kind of kind of you know kind of a, a lot to get our uh get some of our national debt done but nick to me the most quick and the most quick solution to cancel our national debt is war invade a country mineral rich or process rich and just take all they have that's oh so you're doing the old way it's hey doesn't mean it's not it's not accurate and doesn't work it's not the right thing to do but if it worked for caesar it'll work for us i mean it worked back to gaul (laughs) it worked for caesar genghis khan the pope alexander the great napoleon like it works. It's kind of a shitty, unhumane thing to do. But, man, I mean, start, you know, Canada kind of looks kind of nice this time of year. You know, they got a lot of land, timber, not a lot of population. I'm just saying. Just saying. I mean, it'd probably just be easier to make them a state than it would to conquer them, right? Hey, either way, that's a lot of resources, a lot of minerals, a lot of, uh, a lot of territory. So my... my um. I have another dumb idea, and this is basically we use the top five crooks in Congress, and they set up like a, a basically become investors in the United States, right? So I'm talking like your Pelosi's. They, you allow Congress people to buy and sell stock. In behalf of the United States government. Using, yeah, on behalf of us, and they get a percentage. And that's the only way people in Congress can buy or sell stock because look, they're doing it anyway. And they're the only ones getting rich. We might as well get our, let them do it and get our cut. I I think that's, I mean, Nancy Pelosi has worked in Congress for, I mean, I don't know, since eternal time, it looks like, but (laughs) 
And she's a freaking millionaire. She's a public servant. She shouldn't be a millionaire. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely love this idea, and I'm 100% in. It's like, and if you're gonna, anyone who, yeah. If you're going to be the crook, if you're going to be really good at what you do and it's kind of bad, you might as well be on our side, all right? If you can't beat them, join them kind of situation. Yeah, we don't condone what you do, but we also like money, I guess is the... <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah and uh, i like it's not gonna p- pay off the national debt but we can start working some some of that interest down i mean just think about it every insider trading tip nancy pelosi does that's a few dollars less on your taxes time you know as time goes on it's going to be less and less you sold me with less taxes nick that's all you had to say yeah i don't think that'll work um, just based on the sheer, sheer size of the national debt, it'll take a while for their, Every- their portfolios to get there, or not. Who fucking knows? These people are terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say every every journey begins with one step, but I think you're a little bit more accurate with your word choice. So that's my that's my dumb, but also not the worst idea I've had. Right. I so what I got is. We hire crooks to invest our money. In order to get the money, we go to war. So we just, like we combine our ideas. We just we invade and give it to the crooks to to invest. That's <laughs> Nick. Are we? Are you sure we're not politicians? I mean, are, are are we the British East India Trading Company? I can't. I don't know. So that's pretty much all I had. Unless you wanted to run through, um. And kind of go through things like projects and how much they would add or take away from the budget. Uh, I don't have any of that. Uh, if you have anything on that, feel free to bring it on and I'll comment where I can. So I'm just going to run through. So um, there's a website and it's crfb.org. It has a tool called Debt Fixer, but it's the Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget. And you can go through and you know, see what you can add or take away and what it'll do to the budget or to, to the uh, debt. And so I was just going to go through some of the big points that people are talking about and you can see what it does to the, the debt. So offering free community college would increase national debt by $70 billion, and offering free public college would increase it by $590 billion. Um, And then if you increase the gas tax by $0.15 cent and continue to grow it, you would decrease... The, the national debt by 260 billion and then if you you know spend more or less on education so if you increase kindergarten through 12th grade edu- education spending you'd add 210 billion and if you decrease it you would decrease by 440 billion personally i i don't think education is where we start cutting but who am i yeah i i, I kind of want to literally just say that there are ways in budget and manipulation to do it. It's just the the efficiency that it is done is not, I think, the correct way to do it or the right standards to do it. It's all there. I just don't know why we're not able to get there. Um, so another one that's big people bring up a lot, freezing defense spending for two years would decrease the budget by $390 billion. And if you return defense spending to 2017 levels, it would decrease by, I guess, 1,100 billion, which so is like 1.1 trillion, right? 
Yeah, I don't I don't know I don't know if completely freezing it is the correct idea. I was gonna say, yeah, probably shouldn't uh just stop spending money on defense, but and then um tighten border security and build a border wall, increase by hundred and thirty billion, provide a pathway to citizenship for undocumented immigrants. Or sorry, tighten border security, increase by hundred and thirty billion, provide a pathway to citizenship for undocumented immigrants, decrease by hundred and seventy billion. Um, reducing foreign aid and international program spending only decreases by 130 billion. I feel like that's inaccurate somehow. I don't know why, but I feel like that's a very inaccurate number. That's what I said. And it's, it's interesting how it says reduce, not cancel. So I don't know if it's like reduced by, you know, X minus it. Or yeah. Some shit. Uh, raising the retirement age to 69. <laughs> nice. <probably because laughs> thank you. Decrease by a hundred and ten billion, and then the rest is tax stuff that's boring and I don't quite understand, so I don't want to explain it wrong. And then uh, when you get into healthcare, you got some bigger numbers here. If you want to expand Obamacare, increase by two hundred forty billion. If you want to extend Obamacare subsidies and close the coverage gap, it's an increase by four hundred forty billion. If you want to replace Obamacare with state grants, that's a decrease by five hundred fifty billion. And that kind of sounds like passing the buck, but states definitely have a lot less debt than we do federally, which I don't. We haven't really talked about, but the state debt to it seems like Nick, one way or another, everyone's in debt. No matter if you're a business, an individual, a state, government entity, or the entire United States, you're in debt to someone, some way. Yeah, I mean, everyone's our whole our whole economic system runs on being in debt and credit so you everyone's pretty much always in debt i like to call it imagination and it seems to work everyone's got you know for a place where a lot of people are worried that people are running on imaginations boy we do believe in a lot of imaginal imaginal things yeah and you know what i can't believe we didn't bring up until right now we may have to add in the beginning of the podcast um what is the debt if broken out per citizen oh isn't it like oh god isn't it like 80,000 something per citizen so and this is this is what i don't quite understand so the debt per citizen is at $89,856 but the debt per taxpayer is $238,910 so i guess is that like if you're have a dual citizenship or just if you don't maybe if you don't make enough How many if you don't contribute to to federal income tax I don't I don't know what the population of children are in the United States either. That's probably got to be a good percentage. But the uh and then for state your your debt per citizen is only $3,620 and your debt per yeah. So you're that's a more manageable number. <laughs> yeah. I you know just by you know 87,000 Nick pretty much. And um so continuing on for uh how could we decrease and increase and how would it affect everything? So if again, if you freeze non-defense appropriations for two years, it's a decrease of $260 billion. If you return non-defense spending to 2017 levels, it's a decrease of $780 billion. Hot yeah, damn. Yeah, I know. Again, it's a decrease in spending, so that's not really going to work. Yeah, needless to say, this is... A simple problem, but yet at the same time, a very complicated problem. Yeah. Uh, so enacting a carbon tax 
would decrease the debt by 1.1 trillion. Basically, it's taxes added. If you enacted a wealth tax, you would decrease by 2.4 trillion. Um, and so this is the interesting about taxes, right? So it's kind of like a like a parabola, like a U, upside down U, right? So there's a number somewhere where the tax rate you get the most bang for your buck. So on one end, so one axis on the bottom, you have how much money, how, what percent of your taxes the government takes in, and then on the other end is how much, you know, per, how much is produced. And on one end there is zero, the government takes in zero, and on the other end, the government takes in everything. So you have, if the government takes in everything, you have no incentive to produce. If the government takes in zero and doesn't provide anything, you also have no, like, if there's no economy, there's no incentive to produce. So somewhere in there, there's a perfect amount of the government to take enough where they can get enough money to do what they want, but also not decrease production because they reduce the incentive to work. So somewhere out there, there is a magical number for taxes. Now, we don't know what it is yet, but it's out there. And so a lot of people say the answer is to raise taxes, but it's actually more complicated because you raise taxes too much, you decrease the incentive to, to produce. And so basically what it sounds like from what I've kind of read is that basically tax plans don't really all have that much effect on the national debt because when the government takes in less money, basically productivity or GDP increases. So because of the increase in productivity, even though you're paying less tax, like say you're, you're paying 15%, it's just a random number, but now you're producing, you know, 150%. So even though you're paying less, you used to be paying 20, now you're paying 15, you're, pay, you're paying less the government, but you're producing more. So they're still getting, they're getting more money than they would previously. And then if you increase taxes, the government's still making, taking in a good amount of money. You're producing less, but the government's taking more of it. So the government takes in more money. It's just a matter of how much you, you produce. That's really the, the question. The, be the best analogy inside my head is you have a pie that's 10 inches in diameter and the government takes a quarter of it, or you have a pie that's 20 inches in diameter and they take a third of it. Granted, they're taking a bigger part fraction-wise by a third, but it turns out to be less, you get more of the pie because it's a larger pie. Yeah, it's exactly how that works. It might be just because I'm hungry. I'm now thinking of pie. <laughs> Sorry. Nope, no worries. Well, that's pretty much all I had. Yeah, it seems like a... I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, Nick. This all seems like a, sol a problem with solutions that can be actually implemented in our recent lifetime and be solved. But yet we don't. Yeah, well, once again, I'd love to blame Congress, but we, we continue to elect people who do this because, I mean, you look at, as a country, like you said earlier, Mike, debt is somehow everyone does it, but also uniquely American. I mean, there's so much, uh, I mean, it's marketing towards, you know, buying and spending. And, and now, you know, you could get a loan for this and that. Um, the average American has is like, f f oh, I'm trying to pull it up. Isn't it like 40% Americans are in debt over 10 grand or something like that? It says the total personal debt of the U.S. is $14.96 which is impressive that Congress can 
spend almost three times as much money as the rest of America combined. So the average debt um, is $58,604, which is pretty reasonable. I mean, that's less than a that's less than most houses. I, I don't know. But, you know, pe- people, t- you can take out like loans now to buy a freaking T-shirt. I mean, you can buy in installments. Yes, it's kind of the old saying, you got to spend money to make money. Well, I think with that being said, Nick, I think we came up with some decent solutions. We see a progress where we can go. And if people want to tell us their ideas or possible solutions for solving national debt, or if you're an international listener on how your country handles national debt, where can they find us and tell us? You can find us on Reddit at Backyard Philosophy Podcast, and you can find us on Instagram at Backyard Philosophy. Can they find us on Twitter? No, because that is brief. I'm I've we had a national debt before Twitter, but I've I feel like we can shift most of the blame on the huge increase in spending on Twitter. <laughs> Twitter's debt for the soul. And uh, out of curiosity, you reading you reading any good books? I am. It's super interesting. It's about trees. It's called the uh, History of the West or Douglas Fir History of the West Most Remarkable Tree, and it is way more interesting than the national debt. So that being said, that's not the hardest to do. Mike, what are you uh, reading right now? For the once in a very few times, I'm actually in between books, and I get to decide, do I want to read something fun, or do I want to read something and, and educate myself? But uh, yeah, for once, I'm in between books. Well, thank you for listening, and I guess go solve the debt crisis. I don't know. We're out. <laughs>